The Deeper Dig is sponsored by Casella. Let's recycle better together. Be sure to empty and clean recyclables. When in doubt, throw it out. Americans toss far too many non-recyclable items in their recycling bins. It adds up and hurts recycling programs. Learn what belongs in your blue bin at casella.com slash recycle better. Let's recycle better together. From VT Digger, I'm Riley Robinson. This is The Deeper Dig. I want to introduce you to Kathleen Hoffman. Kathleen taught high school English in Swanton for more than three decades. So why did you want to become a teacher? I went to um, college thinking I was going to be a writer, a great writer. (laughs) And my professor, Mr. Tony Magistrali, said to me, no, you're not going to be... He, I mean, he said, you, you write well, you're, you're, you know, you, you have the ability to write good essays, those things, but to, to write and to make money, you have to have something more. He was kind about it. He wasn't mean. So I made the decision to um, have education, and I started taking education courses and decided I wanted to teach high school. I she eventually in- ended up at Missisquoi Valley Union, and she loved it her students, her colleagues, her community. I spoke with Kathleen on Zoom because since August, she's been living in Fez, Morocco. When we spoke, she had just started teaching 8th through 12th graders there. She had also just moved into a new apartment. So new, she didn't have much furniture yet. Kathleen is one of many Vermont teachers who either retired early or left the profession altogether in the past couple years. And I wanted to know why. It was COVID. I, I just felt that I'd done 31 years in the same school district and things were very, very stressful. My just that district was better than other districts, but I just didn't think teachers were being appreciated for everything we needed to do um, to try to protect ourselves and students from COVID, to trying to get them caught up from the year that we were for the half year we were closed, um, not being allowed by the state to do uh, online classes with students who were in quarantine. Um, they didn't want they didn't want us to do that. We should have been allowed to do that um, to keep them caught up. We had a number of students who um, didn't come in for classes because they were living with um, grandparents or parents who were immunocompromised. Uh, there was a lot of miscommunication about I would get to class and there would be no students. There's something else that I should know about what it was like teaching at that time, or maybe that you wish more people understood? Yeah, I think, I think they don't, I think a lot of people don't understand how much we missed our students. We missed that daily contact because for some of our students, that was the way we knew they were okay. There is so much um, in our community, it's a very poor community, and there's so much trauma and difficulties in the community and it 
was difficult sometimes to know that they were safe. For some of our kids, the only place that they were safe was school or that they felt safe and that they felt listened to um, because we know there's a lot of um, issues for kids everywhere in the, in the country. And so we, our school district delivered meals every day um, to, to families and we didn't ask who was eating the meals. We simply asked how many people um, do you need food for? And so we, we brought food and milk for three meals a day. During the 2020-2021 school year, Kathleen actually worked two jobs. She taught all day. Then after school, she worked at the local hospital as a COVID screener. I worked the, the um, six to midnight shift. So I, they needed somebody who was an adult. They couldn't have a high school student work till midnight. So I was asked to apply and I mean, I didn't really apply. I just said, sure. And they paid me. So she'd drive home after midnight. Then every morning she'd be back at school at 730. It was exhausting. Kathleen said after that year, there was a mix up with the state about her teaching license. And after everything she had gone through that year, that was her breaking point. She was done. But because the world had turned upside down, it also felt like an opening, a chance to try something new. I talked to my daughter. She's, um, she had graduated and was going off to, um, she was at college. No, she was going off to college. She had waited a year to go. And she said, you know, mom, why don't you go and do, because I had always wanted to teach overseas, um, but it just never, it just never worked out. And so she said, why don't you go and do it? She said, I'm going to college. Everything will be fine. Kathleen applied to programs in Spain where she could both teach English and take classes that would certify her to teach abroad long term. It was really difficult to get a work visa in the European Union. So once that position ended, she applied to jobs in Morocco because she had family there. But leaving her job and her community in Vermont took a leap of faith. When you sent in your letter of resignation, Mm -hmm. what were you feeling in that moment? When I finally sent it, I was like, oh, God, what did I just do? (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I was like, you know, this is this is the right thing. And people were like, oh, you're brave. And I said, it has nothing to do with being brave or courageous. It has everything to do with doing what feels right. And it never didn't feel right. I mean, I was sad to leave because I had been there for so long, Um, loved love the community um, and the students and uh, my colleagues, but I knew that it was time to go. Hundreds of teachers retire from Vermont schools every year. According to state data from 2017 to 2019, it was usually about 360 to 370 teachers. Then for the 2020 fiscal year, there's a jump to 462 retirements. And that number remained high in 2021 with 409 retirements. Lots of these people are at retirement age. But anecdotally, many of these are early retirements. People who were close to the end of their careers and said, you know what, this is really hard. So they exit a couple years early. That was the case for Kathleen. 
She was just a few years away from when she had expected to retire. She was also really worried about the state pension system. So she rolled over her pension into a separate account and left. Um, and I had a great experience, you know, as a student. Um, so, you know, it was something I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, to, to be involved with and, and pay forward, I guess. Um, but, you know, eventually um, it just became too much, frankly. <laughs> Matthew Seeger has taught in schools in Vermont and Connecticut. He spent a few years tutoring outside of Vermont, then came back and was a substitute teacher in Rutland County Schools for a couple of years while he worked on his master's degree. You know, really, once I came back to Vermont and started teaching at the college and and substitute teaching a bit around in the public schools, that was really, um, you know, an eye opener for me. Matt said the forces pushing him out of education started a few years before the pandemic. You know, kind of three buckets, I guess I'd put them into the first being student behavior, uh, the second being parental behavior, and the third being uh, the administration. Um, and they all sort of go hand in glove. You know, basically the student behavior, student behavior is tough. I mean, they're they're fearlessly disrespectful of authority. You know, I, I had actually a a particularly disheartening moment was uh, when I was I was filling in for someone who was on maternal leave. Right. And so that teacher had already left. They'd already had a sub uh, that was taking over for that teacher. And then that person was out. I was filling in for them. And, you know, you're just hearing F-bombs all over the, the room and you ask somebody, hey, you know, language, please. Right. We, we don't use that here in, in school. And, you know, the girl turns around and just uh, looks at me and says, like, you're a sub for a sub. Like, <laughs> you know, like, what are you going to do, basically? And it's like and the answer is nothing. And they know it and I know it. And frankly, it's just a terrible situation for like 65, 70 bucks a day. I mean, who wants to do that? <laughs> I mean, how many times can you be told to F off by a, a 12-year-old and um, <laughs> and you want to show up the next day, right? Um, but, you know, you, you can't talk about these things without, um, without talking about a huge factor in it, which is the politicization of schools. It's not a two-way street. It's a one-way street uh, in terms of, you know, what side of the aisle they're, they're coming from. Um, and, yeah, it, it's just uh, it's pervasive at all levels of education. He said he really disagreed with how issues of race, gender, and sexuality were taught and discussed in the public schools he worked in. My basic, my takeaway was, you know, I knew it was time for me to leave because there's just, there's no place in academia for an independent thinker. Um, you know, what I was, you know, raised in and what I was taught was, you know, traditional liberalism um, where, you know, we it's a marketplace of ideas. Right. Um, you know, that's just not the case anymore. So like there, there's like sort of the the dominant um, perspective and and that's really all there is. Anyone else that wants to come up this way is going to get crushed. Right. You, it's not that your idea stinks. It's that you stink and you don't have a right to speak. Matt said he started noticing this pressure and doubting if he should continue in education right after the 2016 election. He left education for good after he graduated with his MBA in 2019.
Pandemic burnout and politicization in schools are just a couple of factors driving the education workforce shortage. Administrators have told VT Digger that they've also lost staff who can't find housing. People have fears about school safety. There are similar workforce needs in lots of sectors, particularly in healthcare and human services. But one official pointed out to me that where hospitals can fill gaps with traveling nurses, you can't really hire a whole slate of traveling teachers. This is Don Tinney, the head of the Vermont NEA, the teachers' union. From our perspective, we know that wages are a huge factor, particularly in recruiting young people to come into the profession. And, you know, there's a group of folks in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s who who get to that decision point, right? Say, okay, so if I'm going to make a move, I need to make it, you know, now. Because um, once I'm in, I'm gonna, I'll stay, you know. And so they're the folks who... They're not retirement age by any stretch, but they're saying, no, I'm out of here. So how do we make sure that that's that's seen as a viable option for them? About 7% of teachers around the state are teaching on temporary provisional licenses, which allow them to work while pursuing their full credentials. That number has roughly doubled in the past five or six years, according to the Vermont Agency of Education. But Vermont schools aren't just short on teachers. There's a need for all the other staff roles that enable schools to function. Don said this is where a lot of schools are feeling the crunch the most, in support staff roles like custodians, cafeteria workers, and paraprofessionals who provide specialized supports for individual students. Paraprofessionals also make a lot less than teachers, averaging at about $22,000 a year, according to the most recent state data. But there was something else that still didn't stack up for me. Vermont's school enrollment numbers have been falling. Across the state, the number of K-12 students has decreased by more than 20% since 2004. So how are we still short on staff? Don said it's because school staffing needs don't exactly parallel with the number of students. Whether you have to get, you know... 60 kids to, to the school building or whether you have to get 47 you have to run the bus you can't so so the you can't read you know say oh okay well we'll use 20 percent less of the school bus driver right the state is trying a couple of things to help ease the shortage of teachers earlier this year the state legislature passed a law to help retired teachers re-enter the workforce and a new program vt ed academy gave teachers a crash course before the school year began, and it helps them go through a sort of peer review process to get permanent licenses. Another expert explained the situation as, we're losing educators faster than we're losing students. This is James Nagel, chair of the education department at St. Michael's College in Colchester. I think what you're seeing is the attrition rate of teachers is faster than the attrition rate of students. And I also think that the class size in Vermont is relatively small compared to the class size in other states. So basically, to, to, to make sure I understand this, you might have fewer kids in a third grade class in a smaller school or in a smaller town, but you still need to have a third grade teacher. And you'll, you may need a paraeducator. Mm-hmm. And you may need a special educator. One thing that I would say Vermont leads the nation in is having inclusive classrooms is bringing everyone into the class, regardless of your intellectual ability, 
your physical ability, your ability to speak English. That is one of the remarkable things that Vermont still does that other school districts and other, other states don't necessarily do. And that does require more adults in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's one of the things that I think we're spending more time doing with our generalists and our content specific teachers, such as social studies teachers and science teachers, is building their capacity to work with the special educators, the multilingual teachers, so that they can work as a team to to help and surround the students with those challenges. James started his career as a lawyer and worked early on with a juvenile offenders program in Connecticut. That work made him want to be a teacher, so he joined Teach for America and ended up as a science teacher in Oakland for the next decade. When he went back for a doctorate, he studied how state and federal policies impact teaching practices in middle and high schools. So we're talking 90s, early 2000s is when you started researching and talking with teachers in that formal way. How have you seen the role of teachers change over that period? I think in the most um, underprivileged and uh, disadvantaged schools, uh, the roles of teachers have not changed very much. I believe that um, there's still a need for adults to be in the building who are caring, loving individuals who understand that the most important thing in those schools is developing relationships and basically building the identity of these children so that they understand they're important and that they have a place in our society and in our communities. I think what we saw in the pandemic uh, the last three years, along with the social um, awareness that we're seeing around inequality uh, in the last few years, I see that that type of understanding about what teaching really is has now come to almost every school district in the country. I think many of the wealthy school districts uh, didn't realize that making relationships is the most important thing that you can do in developing students to become productive citizens, productive um, workers, people who can find a place in society, uh, I think is really the purpose of schooling. And it always has been. I think in many cases and in many places in the country, we've lost that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it, what I'm hearing is it sounds like the pandemic has really been a reflection point of what matters in education. I think it's it, it has been a point that has said, hey, things are broken and we needed something to put a stress on the structures to see how broken they are. Mm. And I think you're seeing uh, teacher educators, professional development uh, folks, uh, teachers, administrators taking a step back and saying, okay, how can we create a fabric of community in our classrooms, in our schools, and in the communities that our, our schools serve? At least for me, someone who doesn't work in education, sort of seemed like all of a sudden alarm bells going off that we're, we're short on teachers, we're short on school bus drivers, we're short on all of the people we rely to educate kids. Do you see that as a pandemic thing? Do you see that as like a long time coming? Well, it, it's, it's two things. It's, it is a pandemic thing. 
it allowed for folks who were thinking of retiring to may, maybe to retire earlier. And especially in Vermont, there is a weighted population of educators that are in their 50s and 60s. They're going to retire. I think it just allowed them to retire a little bit earlier and more all at once. And mm -hmm. I think that's why you're seeing these gaps in, a, in the different schools. Um, but it was, it was already there. It was something that is gonna happen um, because we're, our education workforce is, is, is an older generation. James said he's noticed a striking decrease in the number of St. Mike students pursuing education degrees. Before the pandemic, it was probably 80 to 100. Mm -hmm. And now I would say it's 40 to 60. I feel like now's a good time to talk about the Vermont's future educator pipeline. What kinds of trends are you seeing there? Do we, are we, are we preparing enough future teachers? What's going I, don't, on? I don't think we are preparing enough future teachers. Um, especially in the fields of special education, um, multilingual instruction, um, and in sciences and math. I think what we have been doing, uh, at least the school districts have been doing, is reaching out to other states and hiring folks from outside of Vermont. He said in response, St. Mike's has created a program for folks who didn't study teaching in undergrad, who want to enter the field as a second career. But James said something else that kind of took me by surprise. He's now educating undergraduates, future teachers, who themselves finished high school online and maybe started college mostly online as well. I have a, a senior seminar right now, and the students in that se seminar have been doing almost all of their internships and practicum uh, in the schools remotely. Wait, what? Sorry, tell me more about that. How do you student teach? remotely? Well, it's like you teach remotely. But okay. what I'm talking about is the pre-student teaching um, practicums. This group of seniors that I have right now are in a course where this is the first time they're going to be in the school interning two days a week for six hours or so. And they have a lot of questions. Like, how do I dress? What's, how do I approach students who are, you know, not doing necessarily what they should be doing? Those are things they didn't really have to do in remote learning because a lot of times they might've been doing something like you and I are doing, having a conversation over Zoom or Google Hangouts and it's a one-on-one -on -one or it's a very small group and the group are in their bedrooms. Here, they're in, they might be in a small group, but it's in the context of a class of 20 students. And how do you handle that interaction? How do you handle the noise? How do you handle putting desks together? These are all just little moves that an experienced teacher has because they've been teaching in the classroom for so many years. And these are moves that our students don't have because they haven't even been able to practice it over the three years they've been at St. Michael's. So it's just a unique, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like asking someone to go skiing and they've only watched it. There's something about this that stuck with me. 
after the past couple of years with remote learning and the fighting over COVID protocols and schools and the curriculum and all the shouting at local school board meetings, there's still some students out there who want to do this work. And they're going down that road even after seeing just how hard it can be. And that part, to me, seemed deeply hopeful. And that's our show. If you want to read more about Vermont schools, head over to vtdigger.org. My colleague, Peter Dioria, is doing some great reporting on education, and parts of this show drew from his work. This week, we used music by Blue Dot Sessions. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again for listening. Listening.